Welcome. This is Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Be sure to log on to our website, www.cato.org, for a full archive of our podcast as well as many other audio offerings. In an op-ed that ran in the Financial Times last week, Cato's Vice President for Academic Affairs, James Dorn, argued that calls for government coordination of exchange rates to manage global imbalances are misguided, and that exchange rate intervention can wreak monetary havoc. Writing specifically about China, he offered a better way to handle Asian currencies. He discusses his op-ed with us today. From your op-ed, I take it you're not in favor of coordinated exchange rate intervention to correct trade imbalances? That's right. I think it would be a mistake for central banks to try to get together and tell us what the so-called optimal fundamental exchange rate should be that would clear world markets. A much better approach would be to have independent monetary policy, which is aimed at long-run price stability, and then let the market forces determine exchange rates. After all, no expert knows what the real exchange rate should be. So the Plaza Accord that they had back in the 1980s was a temporary success, but also interfered substantially with monetary policy, and it led to the Japanese asset bubble and then a, a collapse of that bubble when their central bank reversed course. But why should countries worry about the current account deficit at all? It's just the flip side of a capital account surplus. Well, the key thing is that people should be concerned with free trade versus protectionism. And if I run a bilateral trade account deficit with my grocery store, which I do, uh, I spend a lot more there than they spend on my economics lessons, let's say. We're both made better off. So free trade, as long as it's free, leads to mutual benefit. And so deficits shouldn't be a big deal. The question is, deficits have to be financed, and the U.S. trade deficit, the mirror image of that is the capital account surplus. Foreign investors are willing to invest in the United States economy because we have a strong economy, private property rights, and so on. But in addition, there's a limit to what, let's say, the People's Bank of China, the central bank, there's a limit to how much U.S. debt they'll be willing to hold. After all, if China wants to undervalue its currency, wants to sell the U.S. a lot of cheap goods, U.S. consumers gain substantially, and we give them little pieces of paper, either dollars or IOUs, and they're giving us real resources, real assets, real goods. So that's a great situation for the U.S. If China wants to do that indefinitely, it will not be good for them. So at some point, they're going to start to diversify their portfolio and not just invest in U.S. assets because the dollar is going to have to fall internationally at some point against the Chinese currency, the yuan. And when that happens, the central bank in China would take a huge capital loss. So uh, that's why China eventually will allow their currency to appreciate, mostly through market forces. But that's not happening fast enough for people like uh, Senator Schumer and Senator Graham. They want China to revalue their currency immediately by about 27 percent, which would be devastating for the U.S. economy and not good for China. So that's just a it would be economic suicide. And they've withdrawn their bill for that reason. But you can be sure, especially if the Democrats take over Congress, that the bill will be reintroduced in the next session. How large of a role is China's currency manipulation playing in exacerbating the U.S. current account deficit? Well, China's been booming their economy, and they have a comparative advantage in certain goods. And that's why their current account surplus is, is large and growing. In addition, China is doing the U.S. a favor by this. We shouldn't be so concerned about it, as I just pointed out a minute ago, because um, it benefits uh, the U.S. economy, and it also benefits China. There's a wealth gain. The Chinese standard of living has increased dramatically over the last 20 years. I'm not overly concerned about it. I think the more serious issue is whether or not the U.S. turns protectionist. 
and puts a high tariff on Chinese goods or keeps Chinese goods out by non-tariff barriers. That would be devastating to the world economy, and that would make it much more difficult to correct these so-called global imbalances. So I would argue that insofar as the world economy moves towards market liberalism and open markets, these global imbalances will pretty much take care of themselves over time and will have a soft landing. And the worst thing would be is illiberal policies on the part of the United States because then China would be backed into a corner and China would probably move away somewhat from its liberalization. And you'd have a situation where both China and the United States would be worse off. What are the options on the table for correcting global imbalances? Well, the two options basically are to have a new plaza type accord approach where you have coordinated intervention where central banks get together, and it wouldn't be just the G5 this time, it would probably be the G20, a group of 20 uh, countries, getting together and coordinating exchange rate policy so that they'd be intervening to basically push the dollar down a little bit and push other currencies up. And the lower value of the U.S. currency internationally should help stimulate our exports and uh, depress their imports from other countries, hence correcting the trade balance over time. Well... Coordinated currency intervention has to affect what we call real exchange rates. And um, that's very difficult to do because real exchange rates are determined by market forces primarily. And uh, the governments made temporarily changes, as they did after the first plaza agreement in 1985. They helped push the dollar lower, and Asian currencies and the euro, well, the euro didn't exist at that time, but the Deutschmark and the yen higher. But it's going to be very hard to do that now. China was a minor player back in 1985. It's a large player now. How do you enforce these types of agreements? There's no way to enforce them. I'm not a, uh, optimistic that that type of approach would be very beneficial. I think a better approach is to have common principles and objectives for monetary authorities so that individual countries prevent inflation. They keep stable growth of money so that you don't have stop-go type monetary policy. And then you allow the exchange rate to be uh, set by free market forces and you open up trade accounts and open up capital flows. So what China really needs is capital freedom so that the people can buy and sell currencies. They can invest in foreign assets without the government telling them what to do. Some people are worried that that would destabilize China's banking system. But I think that individuals should have the right to make their own investment decisions, whether they invest in the domestic economy or international economy. And that capital freedom is extremely important for the Chinese people, just like it is for the Europeans and for Americans. It's true that they can't do it overnight, but if they can move in that direction, that would benefit both the Chinese people and the world economy and help restore global balances. This has been the Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.